Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hoffman-Smith. Hey, welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Daniel Gallen, man around town, is back with me now this time on this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. You can also check him out earlier this week with Bob Flounders talking Ohio State and everything else. Uh, Bob also uh, did his usual weekly podcast with Dave Jones. So we got a lot of good stuff on this Penn State football program coming to you now. Uh, Ohio State week, Daniel, big week coming up. Back-to-back losses, obviously. We're not telling anybody anything that they don't know already. Really, an, another type of dramatic week. Last week, the, the quarterback drama was front and center. And this week, we've got just the James Franklin distraction overload story storyline coming. And I want to start with that. Uh, just the idea of distractions and what James Franklin can and can't do to to minimize all this discussion going on out there with LSU and USC and what he has said to the public, what he hasn't said to the public. We saw him earlier this week calling Ohio State Illinois and calling uh, the horseshoe the big house. What What is your take on all of this just in terms of, you know, I, me and Franklin said last night there just were some things that he can't really say. And I guess my question is why, but what what do you think as as you sit here and watch James Franklin kind of squirm a bit in in this situation? Yeah, it was definitely an uncharacteristic performance from James Franklin on Tuesday. He's usually very measured, knows exactly what he's going to say, how he's going to say it, and he delivers the message that he wants to deliver. So you hear him misspeak once. And then you're kind of like, oh, oh, that's that's a little weird. And then it happens again. And it's something that that you notice. Um, I mean, personally, I don't necessarily read too, too much into it. The Illinois game, that's a loss that is going to linger no matter what someone says about we're going to give this up by Tuesday and then move on. I mean, that was a loss nine overtimes in that kind of fashion. That's something that's going to bleed into next week, no matter you know how much you talk about your mentality. I mean, once you get into the the nicknames for the stadiums, I think that they're all large. They're all big houses uh, one way or another. Um, so I just kind of I didn't notice that one initially. Uh, someone else pointed that one out to me after the fact. So I guess that shows uh, how much I've been paying attention to stadium names recently. I mean, just the irony in this, in saying that, oh, no, our our focus is exclusively on Illinois. Uh, I mean, there's just so much there. But. I always think with James Franklin, is this some kind of like ninja mind game that he's playing? Like, I mean, because he is so prepared all the time. And I think I lean more towards 
you know, media responsibilities are usually something he probably thinks through quite a bit before he makes them. Where this week he's so kind of dialed in and 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 you know, obviously living through last week that he probably just didn't think too much about media responsibilities this week. That's where I I ultimately land on. But the thought that flashed through my head is he trying to. I don't know, pl- play the distracted guy to to for some reason or another. I, I don't know, but it doesn't make any sense to me. But James Franklin always seems to think everything through. Yeah, I mean, that was that was kind of the the surprise uh, to me, and it was also one of his shorter news conferences, Tuesday news conferences. I think it, it timed in around thirty minutes. Sometimes they get a little bit closer to forty or or more than forty, depending on what's going on, how many people have questions, how James is answering those questions. So it was a little bit a little bit of a different Tuesday. But I think last night uh, after or Wednesday night after practice, we saw kind of a little bit more of the, the James Franklin in the media setting that um, we've kind of come to know uh, this season and over the past, you know, eight years or so. And how about the moving parts that he referenced uh, Wednesday night? You know, essentially that he's boxed in there. There are things happening on, on this or not happening that he just can't really get into the exit. I just I, I've been trying to think about what those moving parts are and what's preventing him from saying anything other than the obvious of contract situation leverage. I mean, what what other moving parts could there be? The the quote unquote moving parts, that's obviously something that he's not going to to air at this point in the season with with everything that's going on. Um, But I think just kind of in general, there's a lot of focus on James Franklin himself, that he's the one who's making a decision. He's the one where where all this stems from. But I think just kind of speaking generally, there are a lot of moving parts when when it comes to, to these things, whether it's USC, LSU, you know, it, it's kind of a thing where, where it takes two to tango. This isn't James Franklin doesn't live in a vacuum where he is pulling all the strings. He is the one that is kind of that that he is making all the decisions. He is the one that is putting everything into place. I mean, there, there's two sides to everything. And those things can change week to week based on, you know, in a in a hypothetical what a booster at another school suddenly thinks or if another coach somewhere emerges as, as the hot candidate down the stretch. And then even at Penn state, he has relationships that that he has to manage. Those are constantly changing. I kind of interpreted that as kind of that there are external factors in that as much as he has control over his future and what happens, there are also other things that, that he can control. I'm sure he'd like to control them that will kind of have input or impact what happens in the future. It's also possible that there's some kind of contract negotiation going on in house where he can't really change his, his public position just yet, to, you know, at, at, for at risk of um, losing that. Anyway, let's one other thing that he um, continues to say that I wanted to, to touch on with you also was just the, the physicality of the offensive line. It does feel like I, I can't really say how many times we've heard this, but if you have to plead publicly for your offensive line to be more physical, you have to do that multiple times. Is that not some kind of red flag that whether it's coaching or whether it's the players that 
Um, they haven't responded to this yet, but he still went with that line again this week. And I mean, frankly, it's something all the fans have been looking for too, is a little bit more of that physical mentality. Yeah. And I think that it's magnified after the Illinois game where you had seven of those nine overtimes, you get the ball at the three yard line and you only score once you only get three yards once. Obviously they, they tried a couple different avenues to get there in terms of shovel pass trick play one other pass, but you need to get three yards. It, you know, that's kind of what, what it comes down to. And I think that we talked about it earlier this year, especially with the running game, that there is going to be a game. I don't necessarily think we thought it was going to be an overtime shootout against Illinois, but we said that there are going to be these games where they're going to need to run the ball, need to get this yardage uh, at a key juncture in the game. And, and that came uh, on Saturday and it, it didn't happen. Um, and you look at an offensive line that brought three starters back, technically only two returning starters in their their previous positions with Mike Miranda moving around. But you kind of thought that they'd built depth there and that they would be in a position where this would be an area of the team, uh, the offensive line and the running backs that you didn't have to worry about. And now we're almost two thirds of the way into the season and it has not gone like that. It is kind of a concern that at this point in the season that you want that you want your team to be more physical. You're urging them to be more physical because Franklin was asked about this on Wednesday night. How do you do this in the season? Um, Especially when you already have health problems at a couple key positions and you want to keep guys healthier down the stretch. You don't want to wear guys down in practice before games at a point in the season where there's probably already some, some wear and tear. I mean, this is the thing that, you're supposed to do in the spring, in the summer, right before the season starts. So I think that that is, you kind of raise your eyebrows at that, especially when you look at what they're going up against uh, in the Ohio state front front seven this weekend. I think that it just kind of comes down to, to the players. Um, They're going to have to step up and show, and we'll see if what James Franklin and Phil Troutline and everyone else have been preaching behind the scenes. We'll, we'll see if that resonates. Well, and the other thing is we did see, you know, in the second half against Illinois, we saw that shuffling of the offensive line, namely Mike Miranda moving back to right guard and Juice Scruggs moving to center. They could be Eric Wilson. It could be Bryce Hefner. You know, um, do you, do you expect to see, and, and I, I do kind of expect to see that experiment continue from the jump against Ohio State. What's your take just on on the shuffling? Because I'll, I will also say that midway through last year, you know, they, they turned the corner in part because they made some adjustments along the offensive line, namely moving Will Fries in from right tackle to right guard. Yeah, we talked to Mike Miranda, G. Scruggs, and Sean Clifford yesterday or on Wednesday, and no one really offered much insight one way or another what that, of course, what that starting um, offensive line will look like. But I wouldn't be a surprise if, if we saw G. Scruggs at center, Mike Miranda at right guard. I mean, Mike Miranda was an all big 10 second team performer at left guard last season. And it just hasn't really been there at center, I guess. And Juice Scruggs is someone that has a really high ceiling. This is his first real extended action. So I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what, what he can do down the stretch, but I think we'll see some shuffling. I mean, I'm pretty big on, on offensive line chemistry. I'm a, I'm a proponent of you you keep things as the same as possible coming off a couple of years of, of covering the, the Philadelphia Eagles and all the offensive line problems they had. The big philosophy there was 
if someone was hurt or someone was struggling, you made all your switches one for one. You took someone out and you put someone in. You didn't start to move guys around because when you move guys around, it's not technically one new player on the line. It's It'll be two new players at two new positions, players at three new positions. And there's kind of a, a chain reaction that can come from that. So in the eighth game of the year, kind of experimenting with uh, different offensive line combinations when it's not injury related is not where you want to be. Um, but that's going to be something to, to really watch up front, especially when you factor in that the running backs haven't really been making plays on their own. Sean Clifford is hurt as, or is at least hampered starting up front. Things could, could get bad. Um, if, if things kind of start to, to spiral. Sort of like a, I don't want to use the word desperate, but just, just looking for a spark and needing to try to find a spark and create one somehow. And I would say, you know, Mike Miranda being the, you know, the veteran of this interior line group, it makes all the sense in the world to to have him at center where his leadership and experience and his communication can pay off. But at the same time, you know, Juice Scruggs, I don't think anybody would argue is a much more twitchy offensive lineman. And when you talk about getting the ball off, getting the snap back and being able to adjust your focus to blocking the man or the men in front of you, you know, I think that that extra little bit of quickness off the ball, it could sort of pay dividends. And But I do lean more towards, as you're saying, just doing anything you can to try to find a spark, try to create the right combination, try to create some urgency uh, that just hasn't really been there. So we'll see. You know, it's a tough it's a tough opponent if they are going to go that route against Ohio State to try to, uh, you know, again, go with that experiment. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Uh, you mentioned Sean Clifford being hampered, obviously. You know, maybe the storyline in this game, it was the storyline last week. I don't think, and I include myself in this group, I don't think a lot of people are giving this team much of a shot if he's not the player who showed up for the first five-plus games. You know, that that's the player that you need if you're going to threaten this Ohio State defense. And I know the, I know the Buckeyes are, have figured things out, but I don't. it doesn't look to me still like this is that in, invincible unit that is unconquerable. You know, I think the, the issue will be with Penn State's offense is keeping pace with Ohio State's offense and I don't give them much of a chance if Clifford isn't pretty sharp on Saturday definitely uh Clifford said yesterday that he believes he'll be a hundred percent on Saturday James Franklin said that he expects Clifford to be closer to a hundred percent James Franklin also said that Clifford felt great on Sunday after that game uh which I assume there's some poetic license there around around the word great but I guess Clifford gives them the chance to win. Uh, James Franklin was asked again Wednesday night about why we didn't see a backup quarterback at any point, given Clifford being kind of visibly hurting and not really playing up to the level that that we've seen him play. And James Franklin said that Clifford in that state still give them gave them the best chance to win, uh, which kind of is a leads to a bigger conversation that we can have at a later date about the quarterback position, but. I mean, Sean Clifford needs to be, he needs to be a hundred percent if Penn State has a shot 
the Ohio State offense is really clicking. Penn State is going to have to score points this year, which they, they haven't really done outside of that all state game and I guess Villanova too. So they've scored points on the teams that they were supposed to score points on, but the other teams, it's kind of been those tight defensive minded games. You look at what Ohio state has done recently. CJ Stroud is really, I think finding himself, you can adjust for opponent. Um, They haven't really played any of the big, any of the, you know, the, the bigger, tougher teams since that Oregon game, (laughs) you look at, uh, the teams that they've beaten and the fact that they felt comfortable with their quarterback room because they had Akron on the schedule where they just rested CJ Stroud for a game and there was no drop off um, with Kyle McCord in there. I think that that kind of shows the kind of talent level that is there and it's going to, it's going to cause some problems. I mean, Travion Henderson is, has been really fun to watch just 8.8 yards per carry, 11 touchdowns and, I was looking at his game logs and he only has two 100 yard games this year and three games where he's had more than 10 carries because he just does so much with his limited carries that they they don't really need him to do anything else. So they're going to have to score points and Clifford gives them the best opportunity to do that, which is something that I think we've said this a couple of times this year where a year ago we would not really have expected this to be the situation. And I think, uh, I mean, you sort of underscored just the difference between these two offenses is efficiency and Ohio State's ability to be in advantageous positions at all times because they're able to create with a lot of consistency, you know, five, six, seven yard plays on those early downs. So now they're in second and twos and second and threes. And it's been the opposite case for, for Penn state. You know, I think you can view the running game as an antiquated or not an essential part of football, but you've seen how it pays dividends or how it doesn't pay dividends. If you can't get that going and you're, I don't think there's any debate that Penn State's been in a lot of second and eights and a lot of third and sevens. And they're just not positions where, you know, defenses have to account for everything. You know, and I think Ohio State does such a good job of being in those good positions at all times. And that's, I think, the the maybe the most concerning thing for me is that, you know, Illinois was able to use that big formation and, and not everybody, you know, Ohio State's not going to resort to that, but be able to create five or six yards almost at will. Like, it's hard for me to watch Illinois run for 357 yards and think that Ohio state's not going to be ahead of the chains pretty much all night. And you can't be in that spot. I know we're talking offense here, but that's exactly what Penn state has been unable to do because you can't reliably get five yards at a clip. Yeah. I was, I kind of mentioned this with Bob uh, on Thursday's podcast, but it's kind of from a Penn state defensive perspective, uh, you go into the game and you're really looking forward to that matchup between the secondary and the wide receivers with Garrett Wilson, uh, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba going up against Joey Porter Jr., Jaquan Brisker, uh, Tariq Castro-Field, Saquon Hardy. I mean, that should be a really fun matchup. But then you look at what Illinois did to did to Penn State on the ground last week, and it's kind of like, well, how much of that are we actually going to get to see um, if they can just give the ball to Travian Henderson? I think Master Teague is supposed to be back this week. They have the depth there um, and that offensive line is good. And with no PJ Mustafer in the middle, uh, it, it's going to be hard for Penn State to stop that running game. So that might kind of cheat us out of what could be one of the more entertaining matchups um, of, of the season. And I, I do think Ohio State's going to recognize that they can get yardage at will 
by doing the same thing that Illinois did, running running right at them again and again and again. But my thought with Ohio State is they're not going to be interested in stringing together 18 play drives to score. I think they're going to try to establish and reestablish and 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 go hunting down the field and put those safeties in conflict and try to make make Brent Pry have to decide: are we are we going to support the run? Are we gonna we gonna send uh, you know? have these guys drop in the coverage and it's not going to be an easy thing to decide in game. I think Ohio state's going to, going to try to have some fun with that. Yeah. Penn state has been really playing that, that Ben don't break defense this year, which you kind of look at, especially in the context of the Illinois game where they gave up 357 rushing yards, but only 10 points in regulation, which is kind of, that's wild. I mean, but they get those timely plays. They, you know, they, they make things happen when they need to. But this is the first time this year where they're really going up against an offense that is actually designed to break you. And I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic. Penn State has done a good job of kind of limiting the big plays. um, And they've been kind of content to like the Auburn game where Auburn Tank Bigsby's getting his yards. They're moving up the field. They're moving up. And then when the field condenses in the red zone, that's where Penn State steps up. That's where they get the stops. But the way that the Ohio state offense is built and the way that they're playing, they don't even need to get to the red zone. They thrive when they're back and they have the whole field to work with. And I think that's something that Penn state hasn't really seen this year. That will be a interesting kind of subplot, I think. And I do think the the bend but don't break, the getting tough in the red zone is part of the, the personality of this defense. And you give Penn state a lot of credit for that. You know, mathematically, to give up 357 on the ground and, and only give up 10 points seems impossible, but this group was able to pull it off. I would just add to that as a as a quick rebuttal. I think it's easy to not break when it's Spencer Petrus, when it's Bo Nix, when it's uh, Graham Mertz. I don't. I mean, C.J. Stroud. This will be maybe maybe his biggest test yet. You know, in terms of the defense that he's playing. So then maybe there's some part of him that's unproven. Maybe he'll he'll be more mistake prone than we've seen, and maybe Penn State can force that in these tight condensed situations. They're going to need to 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 do that. You know, they're going to need to pressure him at, at the right moment and and fluster him, and we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm not ruling that out, but C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback that Penn State has played so far, and I'm not sure it's particularly close. So having that that threat, you know, not just with his arm, but obviously with Alave and Wilson and all those guys, it's going to be a new and unique challenge. I love this Penn State defense, and and you'd love it a little bit less when they show that vulnerability inside that they showed last week. But we'll see if we can, they can make up for that. Uh, we'll get into the prediction real quick. I just wanted to get into the recruiting stuff from last weekend. Jordan Allen, three-star defensive back from Louisiana, who I believe committed to Penn State without without being on campus first. So there's always a threat of that. You got You get a guy who's from a thousand miles away who's never been on campus when he commits, you know, the relationship can, can go a number of ways. So he decommits. Um, I think Sean Fitz from Alliance 247 reported that that was in the works before Saturday's debacle. So you can kind of, you know, chop off that connection right there. At the same time, commitment number four rolls in uh, from Joey. I'm going to go with Schlafer on this one. I, I haven't heard his name pronounced the Exeter Township tight end. Interesting player who I think Penn State sees a lot of future upside. He's 6'6", 205 right now, or 210, depending on where you look. Boy, I mean, just like Tyler Warren got the 260 real quick. You can kind of imagine this guy at 6'6", 250, like six months from now, a year from now, and, and really see him explode and maybe be that four-star guy. What would you think about the the one-for-one one swap? You're down one in 22, you're up one in 23. 
Jordan Allen was part of that big run in July, um, and, and he committed without taking a visit. Um, but he came, took his official visit for the whiteout. Like you said, that this it appeared that this was something that was was in the works uh, before Saturday, um, based on the reporting from rivals and two four seven sports, and that it kind of it seemed it appeared to revolve around um, a visit that Allen took to Ole Miss. Um, I saw on his Instagram, it looked like he had a good time um, at, at his photo shoot. But yeah, I mean that class still has twenty five commits in it. They're number three nationally depending on what happens with Makai Flowers and Christian Driver and, and what position those guys play at the next level, um, you, know, you might not necessarily really be losing a defensive back in Allen. You, you might pick one up kind of uh, in a position switch later. So the class is still fine. Um, he was from Louisiana. He wasn't one of the, the big local heavy hitters. Obviously, you want to extend your footprint as much as you can, and Penn State has kind of I think they've talked about how they've taken advantage of the ability to use Zoom and do things virtually and that's helped a lot. Um so we'll see. That's probably a scholarship that they can use on another player down the stretch or or even a transfer. So and especially since it wasn't connected to what happened Saturday, I don't necessarily think it's something to sound the alarm over. Adding the tight end, uh Joey Schlafer. I forget how many weeks ago we did that tight end um episode and we kind of talked about the the template that that Penn state has been following. And kind of like you said, this, this seems to, to kind of follow that good frame. You can add weight to, there are tools there that you can kind of um, extrapolate to the next level. And also doesn't hurt to be in kind of early on, on a local kid Uh, the past after a pretty rough 2021 cycle locally, Penn state rebounded in 2022 and now they're off to a, a good start in 2023 with Schlafer as the, the number 11 player in Pennsylvania in the composite rankings. So it's recruiting. It, it never stops. Um, and we've kind of talked about how when you have 26 commits in the fold so early, there's going to be some settling. There's going to be some movement. It's just kind of the it's like it's nobody's fault, really. It's just kind of the, the nature of, of the business at this point. Well, especially as you said, when that run begins and you can feel like your spot is in jeopardy if you don't commit then, that seems like as we look back on it, Jordan Allen grabbing that spot, but never really fully kind of shutting things down. And you can't blame a kid for that. I mentioned Ohio State predictions. We put those out on Thursday on Penn Live. Those are available um, now. I picked 42-17. I just have a hard time believing that um, Ohio State's not going to be able to um, use that running game to their advantage, both on the run and with with the pass. You know, I think Penn State's offense, I, I wouldn't rule out some kind of miraculous recovery, but I don't think I would bet on a miraculous recovery coming from that Illinois game. That was an ugly showing um, against that Illini team. Didn't establish the run. I'm still not buying the being able to establish the run on the fly against this defense and this situation and that setting. Um, but, you know, crazier things have happened, I suppose. Yeah, I went with Ohio State 31, Penn State 14. I think when I made the pick, the spread was around 18, 18 and a half. And I, I made a joke with Bob earlier this week uh, when when the spread jumped um, where I said, oh, it feels like Ohio State minus minus anything. Um, but the more I kind of thought about it, it's a big number. Penn State kind of rises to the occasion, uh, even last year where they lost by double digits. It was still only 13 points. And it was kind of one of those games where it felt a lot. It felt like the margin was a lot bigger than it actually was. So I can see Penn state 
coming out, rising to the occasion, coming out and keeping it tight early. I think that that's kind of their their best hope, especially when you look at how Clifford, his trajectory went during the game against Illinois, where as the game went on, he became less effective. So I think that you kind of have to come out, ride that adrenaline, ride that momentum early, jump out um, and kind of make it a game early. But then I see kind of Ohio State's athletes, their talent, that running game. I can see that kind of taking over as the game goes on and, and maybe pulling away in the in the third and fourth quarter. So I think it'll be close early and then Ohio State kind of asserts itself and, you know, the gap between the the elite programs and the good slash great slash tier two or three, whatever you want to however you want to divide it up. I think that 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 gap will, will become evident as as the night goes on in Columbus. I think covering would feel a bit like a victory at this point. Um, but you're you're right. I mean, this is this is a team under James Franklin that's played Ohio State really tough. They're not really afraid of that situation. They do rise to the occasion. They play up to the level level of the opponent. You, I think you hit the nail on the head last year that it felt like a blowout, but didn't look like one on on the scoreboard. Maybe that that unfolds. I will say this: if my scenario unfolds and it's as die as 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 bad as I think it could be, we're gonna have a third full week of drama. <laughs> this will be, be three weeks in a row. I don't know what the drama will be, but I think if, if your scenario unfolds, there there will be a little bit of a glimmer of hope that they can rebound, maybe score one of those top 10 upset wins with Michigan or Michigan State and uh, and get some wins the rest of the way. We'll see what happens. 7.30 p.m. in Columbus, the big house, Saturday night, Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, as Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. This has been our Friday recruiting slash season episode of the Blue White Breakdown. You can follow Daniel on Twitter for all kinds of updates in game, out of game during the week at Daniel JT Gallon. You can find everything we do from Daniel, Bob, Dave, myself on penlive.com slash Penn State football. And for all editions of the Blue White Breakdown, check out Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This is the Blue White Breakdown.